Jesus was from Nazareth. What good could come from Nazareth? If you travel to Israel today and visit Nazareth, it's, it's actually a booming city. Thank you, Karen. Northern Galilee, it's one of the largest cities in the region. In fact, depending on what time of year you go, you'll actually see a lot of tourists in Nazareth. But this was not the case during the time of Jesus. The best, the best way to describe Nazareth is this way. Nazareth, Nazareth was just an out-of-the-way place. It's located on a hill, kind of a ridge overlooking the Jezreel Valley that cuts across Israel. It's not located in a place that's on a trade route. It's not particularly good for agriculture. There are no great natural resources nearby. Simply put, the, the only reason you went to Nazareth really was if you lived there. By contrast, during this time, just up the road from Nazareth, about four miles, was this place. This was the ancient city of Sepphoris. It had been destroyed by the Romans due to some complicated political realities. But as Jesus grew older, Sepphoris was being rebuilt. Sepphoris was a place of action. Sepphoris was a place where everything was new. Sepphoris was a place filled with construction jobs. In fact, it's, it's actually quite possible that as, as craftsmen, as carpenters, Jesus and perhaps Joseph even worked at some point did certain jobs and separate us with their hands. This was the zip code you wanted to have. But Jesus, he wasn't from here. He didn't, he didn't grow up here. Jesus was from Nazareth. And that reality brings us back to what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. During the Christmas season, we've been in a series entitled, What's in a Name? We've taken time over these last few weeks to look at five different names used by Matthew, five different names of Jesus that he uses in introducing us to who Jesus is. We come now to the last one, which we find at the very end of the Christmas story, and that is the simple title that Jesus, Jesus was a Nazarene. We're introduced to this fact as we come to the end of chapter 2. And just a reminder, by the time we get to the end of chapter 2, Jesus has been born. His family has fled to Egypt because Herod wants to kill him. And they've lived in exile. But, but now it's possible for them to return. So we, we pick up the story as we continue in Matthew chapter 2. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. And that's the last title we're looking at in this series. So Jesus would not grow up in Bethlehem, close to Jerusalem, close to the action, close to the power. He would grow up in Nazareth. A place that was small, not particularly attractive. 
a place without a lot of opportunity. Consequently, it was populated by people who were generally poor, unimpressive, people you would think who are never going to amount to much. Not surprisingly, there could be a stigma associated with being from a place like this, right? I mean, Jesus was from Nazareth. So for instance, in John chapter two, as people are hearing about Jesus and his ministry, a guy named Nathaniel hears about Jesus, but his first response is what? Nazareth? What good can come from Nazareth? You see, Nathaniel was from Cana. That was a much more desirable place to be from. That was a much better zip code, but Jesus didn't grow up there. Jesus was from Nazareth. I didn't understand the weight of that statement, the significance of where you're from and how people can look at you until I lived in Fargo, North Dakota for nine years. (laughs) And on more than one occasion, my wife and I, as we introduced ourselves to people, would have that kind of interesting, awkward moment. Well, where are you from? We're from Fargo. And the response would typically be something like this. Fargo. And they would kind of exhale, kind of with a certain air of disappointment and consternation, like who really lives in Fargo? We called it the Fargo response because we got it so much. I finally, it got, it got, it could, it got to be so awkward that sometimes I would try to make a joke out of it because I could just see people thinking like, who really lives in Fargo? So I would, you know, where are you from? Well, we're from Fargo, really? Yeah. And I'd look at them and go, yeah, you didn't really know people lived there, did you? And then... <laughs> Then I would go, but you have heard of the witness protection program, haven't you? You know, you just had to, because that, Jesus was from Nazareth. One of those places that carries a certain stigma, maybe a sense of embarrassment, disappointment, failure. Maybe you're from one of those places. Maybe in some sense you're from a place that sounds like a lot like Nazareth. But the reality is, even if you're not from a place like that, even if you didn't grow up in a place like that, you and I, maybe we've had feelings that generate the same sorts of, or or situations that generate the same sorts of feelings, experience experiences that cause you to feel like you're a disappointment, a failure, experiences that come with a certain sense of embarrassment or desire that life would have worked differently. Do you know those experiences? Do you know those Nazareth kind of moments? As you came in and the packet where you received the bulletin, there's this, there's this little sheet. I'm just going to ask you to pull it out right now. I'm going to ask you to do something with me. It says the Nazarene, can anything good come from, out of Nazareth? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you not to put your name on it because we're going, to, we're going to use this in a moment. But here's what I want you to think about, right? I mean, Jesus was from Nazareth. You and I, we're not from Nazareth, but have you had those Nazareth kind of moments? Are there certain experiences or situations in your life right now that are in some sense Nazareth kind of moments? Here's what I mean by that. These can be situations that cause you to feel not good enough, unimportant, alone, forgotten, rejected, unloved. So I'm just going to ask you, once again, to do this anonymously, but just if there's something that comes to mind here, just write, those, just write that down. Maybe it's a relationship where you haven't been treated well. 
Maybe it's a situation at school where you feel just excluded. Maybe you would say, you know, I feel like I've really been successful, but somehow it hasn't turned out to be the way I wanted. And there's a certain disappointment, even in my success, certain feeling that I'm alone. Or maybe you would say, even though I've been successful and I feel like my life's on track, I feel like I'm the kid in our family that can never measure up. I'm never good enough. And so there are certain relationships that cause you to feel this way. So if you can identify with that, I'm I'm just going to ask you, just just write it down. Once again, do it anonymously, but just write it down. Those Nazareth, Nazareth kind of moments. And as we, pay, as we pay attention to this, as we think about the reality that Jesus is from Nazareth, there are a couple of details that Matthew gives us that I, I want you to notice as he tells this part of the Christmas story. First of all, um, it seems that in some sense, for Joseph, going back to Nazareth was plan B. Once again, remember the story. They've gone to Bethlehem, right, to register for the census. While they're there, Jesus is born. Ultimately, they can't stay there long term because there's a threat on Jesus' life. So they go into hiding. They go into exile in Egypt. But eventually Herod dies, and it feels like he's safe to go back. And as Matthew tells the story, you get the feeling that initially... Joseph actually wants to go back to Bethlehem. They started to make a home there, and, you know, this is his ancestral home. And and yet he's, he's told in a dream that that's not safe. You can't do that. So ultimately, he ends up then going back to Nazareth. But pay close attention to this, because I really do think for Joseph, this was plan B. I mean, he had wanted to go back to Judea, and that's where Bethlehem was, but that still wasn't going to be safe, even though Herod the Great was gone, his son was ruling, and there's still danger there. So instead of doing this, he ends up doing this. Instead of Judea and Bethlehem, it's Nazareth. And of course, you know, he spent time there, but I can't help but wonder if there was a certain sense of disappointment maybe even a certain sense of fear, you know, perhaps it's just the recognition that people at Nazareth are going to remember that my wife was pregnant before we're married and there's going to be a stigma, there's going to be gossip, it's going to be awkward. Nazareth, Nazareth looks like it's plan B. And I think Matthew's highlighting that. But here's the other thing that Matthew's doing. Not only is Matthew, I think, kind of highlighting for us that at least from Joseph's perspective, Nazareth is plan B. Matthew is also saying, but by by the way, God can be at work in plan B. You know, kind of wanted to go in this direction, but he's told in a dream not to. It's kind of plan B. But then you get to the end and Matthew says, and by the way, this was to fulfill what the prophet said, that he would be born in Nazareth. In other words, it feels like this is plan B, but guess what? This is the very place where God is at work. That's what Matthew's saying. He's from Nazareth. Now, this is the point, this is the point where it's legitimate to look back in Matthew and say, okay, dude, you've just gone over the edge. And by that, I mean this. It, it, 
It just, it, it, Matthew, it doesn't make sense what you are saying because notice Matthew says this was to fulfill what was said in the prophets. Now, at very, various places in chapter one and chapter two, Matthew takes time, right? Matthew takes time to go back and show how the story of Jesus is related to scenes in the Old Testament. There are really five different places in chapter one and chapter two where he draws these specific connections, where he uses language like, well, this, is what, this was to fulfill what was said in the past. This, is what, this was to fulfill. And he, he usually takes us back to a particular scene in the Old Testament. And what, what Matthew is doing with these references is saying, look, all of this, this is a big, it's a big story in parts of the different ways the, the old parts anticipate the new parts. It's all woven together in terms of who God is and what he's doing. It's, it's one large story together. All the parts are interrelated. That's what Matthew is showing us. And that's one of the reasons why as we start the new year, just a reminder, we're going to start this new series called Love This Book. And we're going to be talking about the first part of the Old Testament. And part of what we want to do in this series is help you to see not simply the, the particular stories of the Bible, maybe even stories we learned in Sunday school, but to see how all the parts fit into a bigger whole. Just a reminder as well, as we do that, we'll introduce the series next week and then kind of launch into it. But as we go through this, we prepare devotional guides that can be helpful to you. Uh, We have one guide for adults, one for our students, for those in middle school and high school. As you leave this morning, these will be at tables in different parts of the lobby. So if you haven't picked one up, I encourage you to do so, so you can jump in as we start this uh, during the new year. And, And please understand, we've got plenty of copies, so if you're married, it's not one per it's not one per couple, it's, it's one per uh, individual. So if you, you were here last week and just picked up one and you're married, make sure you pick up two. But we're going to see, really, as we go through this, how the story fits together. And that's exactly what Matthew is saying. But then you get to the last time he says it, where this fulfills what the prophet said. And you're like, oh, dude, you're just making stuff up. Dude, it feels like you've gone over the edge for this reason. There is no place. In the Old Testament, there is no Old Testament prophetic statement that says a leader, the Messiah, will be born in Nazareth. Furthermore, and this is the kicker, furthermore, most likely, all the prophets in the Old Testament had lived and died before Nazareth was even established as a town. So Matthew, what are you saying? Well, this fulfills what the, you know, the prophet said that Jesus would be born and uh, he would be a Nazarene. Where do you get that? It almost feels like, yeah, no, no, if you're, you know, if you're a student or you remember your student days, you're up late night, right? Finishing that exam paper or that, that term paper. And you just, you're running out of time. You just throw stuff in and hope they don't check. Right, if I just kind of overload it, maybe they won't check the references. But Matthew, we've gone back to the references. There is no place in the Old Testament that says he's going to be born in Nazareth. But before we just kind of throw this out as just a figment of Matthew's imagination, I I think there are actually two things at work when Matthew says this. First of all, notice how Matthew says this. He says, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. In other words, he's not, making, he's not making a specific reference to an individual statement in the Old Testament. Rather, what I, I think he is doing is this. He's tapping into the reality that Nazareth 
Nazareth was an out-of-the-way place, an insignificant place, a place that it's easy to overlook. Right? It's a place that's easy to dismiss, easy to disregard, and consequently, it's easy to not take seriously anyone who comes from Nazareth. Right? What good can come from Nazareth? Matthew is tapping into these views about Nazareth and saying, I think he's saying this. Look, I know the, I know the Old Testament doesn't exactly say he's going to come from Nazareth. I get that. But I think what he is saying is, but the Old Testament says that he would come as someone who wasn't universally accepted, someone who was despised, someone who was rejected. In other words, he's going to be a person who comes from a place like Nazareth. And we clearly see that in the Old Testament, for instance, right? In a familiar passage in Isaiah 53, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. And Matthew says, yep, that's what the prophet said. Maybe not in these exact words, but that's Nazareth. That's what comes from Nazareth. So I think at one level, Matthew is tapping into the fact that the prophets collectively in different ways had said that one day this leader will come, but he won't be universally admired. He won't be universally accepted. He won't be universally respected. He will be despised. He will be rejected. And Matthew says, yep, that's Nazareth. That's Nazareth. But I also think, and this is a little more subtle, but I also think there's, there's one other thing that Matthew is doing with this statement. I think he's making a play on words. Because you see, in Hebrew, the word for Nazareth sounds very similar to the word for branch. And in different places, the Old Testament described the coming leader as a branch. As a branch that would bear fruit. So once again, in the prophet Isaiah, we read these words. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from the roots a branch. And that's, sir, which sounds very similar to Nazareth in Hebrew. A branch will bear fruit. Now, notice notice the imagery that Isaiah uses here. First of all, there's the imagery of a stump, right? And I think about that. I think about a situation a couple of years ago at our house. A tree dies. We get it cut down, and there's still the stump. So we've got to hire the guy to come in with a stump grinder, and that gets complicated to get the stump grinder around our house and finally get it all taken care of. And so when I think stump, I I think death. Stump is the sign that the tree has died, and, you know, it's just a stump is a dead end. And that's the imagery Isaiah is using here, but he's, he's got the idea that even out of that dead end, a, just a little shoot can come up that will become a great branch that bears fruit. By the time of Jesus, it felt like the line of David was a stump, a dead end. It had been centuries since a true king had come from this line. And yet Matthew is, through the imagery of Nazareth and using this wordplay, is saying, yes, but in the midst of what appears like a dead end, this shoot, this branch is going to come forward and it's going to bear life. 
I think about this, you know, this is kind of a family Sunday, so maybe just a kind of contemporary imagery that all of us in different generations can, can relate to is, comes, from the, uh, comes from the movie Wally. If you're familiar with the movie, it's a story in Earth's future, right, where, where pollution has become so bad, where the garbage has mounted up so heavily throughout the world that the world is no longer inhabitable and plant life has died and, and the population has had to be evacuated to spaceships, you know, circling and away from the earth. But there's this hope, there's this hope that one day we're going to just discover that first plant and it's going to be a sign that we can return. And of course, Wally's the sanitation robot who's on earth and he's, you know, part of the, his responsibility day after day is just to clean up and organize the garbage. So day after day, he's dealing with garbage and trash, and, and then one day, he discovers this. <laughs> he discovers that. Just one little plant, one little shoot. But as you see, if you're familiar with the movie, once he makes that discovery, everything changes. And in a similar way, when, when Matthew is locking on to this idea that Jesus is from Nazareth, what he's doing is he's, he's looking back into the pages of the Old Testament, understanding that this whole story really fits together. And he's looking back and he's saying, you know what, the prophets really anticipated this, that Jesus, he's going to come from a place that looks like plan B. He's going to come from a place where it feels like he should be despised and rejected. That's, that's going to be where he's from, and yet that will be... The, the one in whom God is at work. Furthermore, through a play on words, I think Matthew's also just reminding us, and, and he's going to come in a way that it feels like a dead end. It's going to come in a way where you, you've already given up, and it just feels like everything is death, and there's no hope. But in the midst of that hope, it's just this little sprig that may seem inconsequential will be at work, and yet ultimately through his work, he will become a branch that bears fruit. Jesus is from Nazareth. Now that we've been talking about this for a few minutes, let's just kind of let it sink in for a moment. Right? Jesus is from Nazareth. One of the things I find interesting is, you know, so much of his ministry, once he... His ministry becomes more public. So much of that would actually be centered farther north in Galilee in a place called Capernaum. But he's never talked about as Jesus from Capernaum. He's always Jesus from Nazareth. Jesus from plan B. Jesus with that despised background. Jesus with a storyline that seems like a dead, dead end. Jesus from Nazareth. So as we let that sink in for a moment, how does, how does this really challenge us as we enter the new year? Well, let me, let me just encourage you just with a couple of simple observations. I think one of the things that challenges us to see is this. It challenges us to see that Jesus can be at work in what we consider to be plan B. Jesus can be at work in plan B. I mentioned that we lived in Fargo. Some of you have heard me 
tell, say this before, you know, 20 years ago, finishing my education, looking for that first job in ministry, and so talking to different churches, and, and at one point in 1999, 20 years ago, we were talking with uh, three different churches, and in my mind, I had kind of ranked them. And one of those churches was this church in Fargo. And I have to be honest with you, as I rank them in my mind, Fargo is not plan A. Fargo is not plan B. In my mind, Fargo was plan C. Yeah, that's where we, that's where we ended up. And as now, as I look back on those nine years, you know, it wasn't what I planned, it wasn't what I expected. But I can now look back and in different ways say, but you know what, God... God can be at work in plan B or plan C. Here's how Jesus was present. Here's how we were, here's what we learned. Here's how we were stretched and challenged. Here's the ways in which it just felt like God showed up. Here's what this meant for my family. See, Jesus is from Nazareth. That's a reminder that he can be at work even in situations that we think are plan B. Furthermore, because Jesus is from Nazareth, I think it is a reminder that he can be at work in scenes that feel disappointing, places where we feel let down, situations that feel like dead ends. He can meet us there because he's, he's from Nazareth. You know, a moment ago, I asked you to think about those kinds of Nazareth moments. And, and maybe you did write down a situation that you feel like is, is a plan B. You know, I, I'd, I'd hope my life, I hope this would happen, but that was the direction and it, it hasn't worked out that way. Now I'm, I'm here. Maybe you put down a certain relational realities, a certain relationship in your family or situation, and it feels like a dead end. Maybe it is a situation where you feel like you've been successful and you've made progress, but it hasn't turned out the way you had hoped, and there's a disappointment there. Or no matter how hard you tried, it seems certain people will never let you be who, you know, who you've turned out to be, or they, they haven't acknowledged what you've achieved or accomplished, and you feel like, I'm just never going to measure up. In all those situations, you need to remember that Jesus is from Nazareth. Jesus is that guy from that out-of-the-way place, that Nazareth, that guy who worked with his hands, a craftsman, a carpenter. Jesus is the guy from Nazareth, but not only is he the guy from Nazareth, he's also the guy, he's also the guy that went to the cross. And because the guy from Nazareth went to the cross and bore our guilt, our shame, bore our brokenness, because the guy from Nazareth went to the cross and was raised from the dead, he can now meet you in those Nazareth moments with the life that only he could give. What good can come from Nazareth? <laughs> Jesus comes from Nazareth.
And the one who comes from Nazareth is the very same one who can meet you in your own Nazareth moments. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as uh, we think about the titles of Jesus, maybe this is the one that kind of we easily overlook. I mean, he's, he's, okay, he's from Nazareth. But that's such a weighty affirmation. He's from this place that appeared plan B, this place where it's easy to despise, a place that is a background that seems like a dead end. And yet the fact that Jesus comes from there, yet goes to the cross, means he can meet us in those very same moments. Father, I pray that as we end this year, we would be open to that truth and that promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us, please?